Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you again, and um, nice to see new carpet and new chairs and new walls. It's amazing what God will use to bless us, isn't it? Never know. Well, I'm just blessed to be here with you all, and uh, before we get into our passage, I just want to set it up um, just with a little bit of uh, a story from when I was a teenager, when I was 16 years old and I got my license. A story of my first and ever speeding ticket. <laughs> Can you remember your first, your first speeding ticket? What a memorable moment that was. How terrifying it was for me to see those lights behind me, to be pulled over, to be terrified for the impending judgment that was about to come. And now since I was a juvenile, it was in the state of Ohio, I had to go to juvie court with my dad. It wasn't like it is here where you can just get a ticket and pay it and, and, uh, and just kind of make it a distant memory. They, they make it hurt. So I remember going to the courthouse with my dad, and my dad says, bring everything you can to, try to prove to them that you are a good kid. <laughs> I come in with this tote bag full of everything I could find on the National Honor Society certificates, honor roll, report cards, you know, blue ribbon from, you know, chili cook-off, whatever. <laughs> Just trying to prove, please, I'm a good kid. You can trust me. I made a mistake. Look at who I am. And I remember it was so anticlimactic. I walk up, you know, he, he asks me to stand, and he, tells, he says, you were speeding. This is what happened. This is the day. And says, why don't you just go pay the clerk outside? It'll be 86 bucks or something like that. And I was so... I was disappointed and happy at the same time. Happy that I didn't get thrown in prison because I thought that's what happens. <laughs> and then disappointed because I didn't even get a chance to prove how good I was to him. Could you imagine if this is what it's like for God and us to come before him at a time of judgment to prove to him our character, our worth, our credibility of our whole life, to try to prove to him how good we are and how we deserve his love. My comfort, and maybe your comfort at a point in your life, or maybe even now, came from who I was, my identity, my character, my accomplishments. Today we're going to talk about our comfort, not coming from who we are, but our comfort coming from the identity of Christ, who he is. We're going to be reading in John chapter 5, and you can join me there as we're about to read our passage, John chapter 5, verse 16. John is going to point us towards, in this passage, point us towards finding comfort in who Jesus is and not in who we are. Just previous to this passage, Jesus healed a man at the pool. Not just any man any day, but a crippled man on the Sabbath, which created a lot of conflict. People wanted to kill him because of it. They wanted to arrest him, put him in prison, and kill Jesus because of his breaking the Sabbath law, healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus enters into this conflict, and through this conflict, he is going to reveal something very good about himself to us. A, a quote that I ran across by John Piper, he's a pastor in Minneapolis, he says this, conflict is the furnace where the steel of his identity is demonstrated. Jesus never wastes a conflict. He never leads you or me into conflict arbitrarily 
or for it just to be wasted. And we mentioned in, in this passage, as we looked uh, in this passage and this understanding the context of this conflict that's going on, we see the means by which Jesus' identity is revealed to us. So let's ask ourselves, what is Jesus going to reveal about who he is in this passage that we'll read? John chapter 5, verse 16. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that you have secured, reserved for us through your sovereign work so that we could be blessed by it, so that we can know you more, so that we might take joy in our duty to be obedient to it and to you. I pray that our, our hearts and ears and eyes would be open to what you want to show us, what you want us to hear, and would you give us the courage and the faith and the grace to, to be obedient to what you're asking us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When questioned about Jesus' Sabbath miracle of breaking the Sabbath law, this is what Jesus said. He said, My Father is working until now, and I am working. You know, not too alarming if you think about it when Jesus says, My Father's working, and I am working now. Not too alarming when he says that, but... Let me give you another scenario that sounds very similar, really what's going on here. Next week, you come, uh, you come to church Sunday morning, and, and Pastor Steve is greeting you at the door. I could talk about him. He's not here. <laughs> he greets you at the door, and he says, welcome to our church. And you think, you, f- you know, you feel that's a warm, a warm and kind greeting. You feel blessed by it. But let's say he said something different, like, welcome to my church. Seems awfully pretentious, doesn't it? Welcome to my church. What if Marty said that this morning? I can talk about him. He is here. (laughs) Welcome to my church, everybody. It's really 
arrogant, somewhat prideful, pretentious, probably maybe lose a little bit of credibility. You might even feel a little disrespected. Who are you to claim that this is your church? But essentially, this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He is not saying, our Father is the one who has called me to work. He is saying, my Father. And in fact, Jesus is claiming something about his relationship to God that no one else can claim. And that's why they actually wanted to kill him, because they understood the implication in what he was saying. Exodus chapter 15, Moses says this about God. He says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who is like you? The answer implied is no one. No one is like you, God. No one even compares. And Jesus stands up and gives an answer to why he is able to heal on the Sabbath. And he says, because God is my Father, I am equal to him. You know how at creation God created all that you see? That was me working. Who wrote the words of Exodus, these words? It was Moses. And in verse 45, if we read a little bit further in this same chapter, Jesus says in verse 45, he says, You know Moses, how he wrote all those things? He was talking about me. Whoa. Big deal. It's a big deal to the Jews here that are, that are wanting to kill him, wanting to crucify him, wanting to arrest him and take him out of the, the scene to shut his mouth. Jesus says, Everything that Moses was writing about God, he was talking about me. That's why I can work today. He isn't done yet. You think that's offensive, it gets even better. Now Jesus is asking for it in verse 22. He says, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now Jesus, even more offensive, is expecting something that is outrageous of all things. He is saying that he not only is equal to God, but he deserves to be worshipped as God. The Jews were slaves in Egypt. God redeemed them from slavery, brought them into the promised land. And during their journey to the promised land, out of slavery, God gave them the Ten Commandments through Moses And the number one commandment was what? Don't have any other gods before me. And number two was don't make any idols and worship those things. And Jesus is claiming those very two two commandments for himself. I deserve to be worshipped, and I'm equal with God. It's big time. He is really driving the stake down deep as far as offenses go. Jesus says, worship me, I and, the, I, and the, I and God the Father are one. I was not created, I have existed forever. When the world was made, I was there. When Moses delivered the Ten Commandments, he was talking about me. The most offensive thing about Christianity is right here in these verses. Jesus is saying, I am the keeper of heaven. He's saying, I am the only judge. You want to know who God is, you must know me. If you knew me, you know God If you desire to honor God in your life, you must honor me. If you don't honor me, you don't honor God. This is, you might ask a question or many might ask, how does Christianity fit into other world religions? In in the whole scope of all of of religiosity in in our world, where does Christianity fit into all that? 
And the answer is it really doesn't. It doesn't fit into all those things because where others might say, how can we, how can we honor God and have this uh, awareness of who God is and pursue him and, and pursue a knowledge of who he is, Jesus is saying that you can't do that unless you honor me. You can't make it fit. You can't make Christianity fit into the other religions because it claims something that is completely different than everybody else. All the other religious leaders or prophets will say, here is a, matter, here is a, a pattern of moral behavior that will lead you to an ultimate state of existence or ultimate realization of God. Christianity claims that no amount of moral behavior can gain that. Can't earn that. All of the religious leaders were moral leaders, but none of them said, worship me. I mean, maybe some cult leaders have done that, but no, none of the prominent main religious leaders have said, worship me as you are worshiping God. And Jesus is doing exactly that. All the other ones would point to something and point to, this is the way, this is the path, go follow that. And Jesus is, is pointing to himself and saying, this is the way, this is the path, it's me. And then here we come to verse 24, the most beautiful point in the text. We see some division, we see some hard words, we see some strong offenses that Jesus is claiming. And now we come to a beautiful point in this passage in verse 24. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The most practical yet offensive principle in the Christian life is found here. The way that you know God is by honoring the Son. The way that you know God and honor God is by honoring Jesus. Jesus has revealed his identity through this conflict. He's revealed his identity of who he really is. The only eternal Son of God, eternally existent, the visible expression of the invisible God. And now it's important to wrestle with this question. What does it mean, then, to honor the Son? That's the title of this sermon. That's the point of this text. Honoring the Son, what does that mean? What does it look like? Now that we see that Christ is stating a very clear claim that if you want to know God, you must honor me, then wouldn't it be important for us to ask, what does that look like? How do you honor the Son? Honoring is a difficult concept to grasp, isn't it? It's very easy, frankly, to naturally look out for yourself, to look out for your health, your own benefits, for your own success, your own fame, your own advancement in life, to make your own rules, to be your own judge, to be the caretaker of your own destiny. I mean, it's easy to, to live like that. And there's a sense of freedom of being on our own. Whatever is going to happen in my life is up to me. I mean, there's a sense of freedom in that. There's a sense of comfort in knowing that, that you're responsible for yourself. And that works well for a little bit, but then there will always come a time where you need help, where you need some kind of encouragement, you need comfort, you need someone from the outside to help you out. Take this common scenario. Honor your father and mother. Here's a principle if you would think, where does it talk about honor in the Bible? Honor your mother and father. If you're, if you're a kid, you have parents, think about this, what does it mean to honor your, your mom and dad? If you are older, think about what does it mean to honor your mom and dad? What, if you are a parent, remember what it was like to have to honor your mom and dad, and when you did, when you didn't, and how hard that was. But generally, we can understand what that means. Practically, it means, well, you're placing yourself under your parents' 
authority. You're submitting yourself to their guidance, to their leadership, to their direction, to their rules, even. So how do we honor Christ in this matter? We honor him the same way that Christ honors the Father. Because Christ, does, he never tells us to do something and then asks us to figure it out. He always gives us an example in himself. He always, he, he always gives us the grace and the example needed in order to fulfill our obedience to him. And so in this same passage, as he's talking about us honoring him, he talks about himself honoring the Father. And there are two ways that Christ honors the Father. Actively and passively. And let's look at those two. And that's going to, mean, that's going to be a big deal for our life as well honoring Christ actively and passively. The first one is that he honors God, Christ honors God, by submitting to his active will. Verse 19 that we read said, the son can do nothing of his own accord. Christ understood that there were certain characteristics, certain things in his life that were non-negotiable, that he didn't get to argue with, that he didn't get to interject his own opinion. There were certain things that he had to submit to, and that was the active will of God. God saying, do this. He, God revealing his, his decrees, his laws to Christ and saying, obey these commands. What does Scripture say? So there are certain, certain things about us as we are obedient to the active will of God that are non-negotiable for us. And that is the active will of God found in Scripture. What does the Scripture say? Where, how does it guide us to live? What does God command of us? These things we don't get to negotiate with. And Jesus never broke or even bent any of those. He upheld them perfectly. John 15, Jesus talks about, we, we see here from John that Jesus upheld the law of God as it was written perfectly. He was obedient to what was black and white in God's word. And you and I know that there is more to the Christian life than just black and white rules, right? I mean, there's so many scenarios, hundreds a day that you come up and say, I don't know what the Bible explicitly says about this. How do I act? How do I live? There's certain things that are confusing. There's gray areas, we might call them. Okay, I know I shouldn't lie or cheat or steal. I, I know I shouldn't covet. I know I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't betray and, and be deceptive. I know I shouldn't do those things. But what about the other areas of life that are confusing? It comes down to the second one, the second point of what does it mean to honor God, and that's honoring God passively. In verse 19, Jesus says, again, he says, the son can do nothing on his own accord but only what he sees the father doing. And so we have this scenario that he keeps an eye on God and he keeps an open eye on what the father is doing, and as he sees the father doing, he does. And so he's always watching. He's always looking for the leading of God. He always has his conscience open to what, God, what do you want me to do in this scenario? What is pleasing to you? What is honoring to you? And he demonstrates this best in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember this story in Luke chapter 22, the clearest way that Jesus demonstrates his obedience to the passive will of God is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse, 22, or verse 42 in chapter 22 says this, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Never, nevertheless, not my will but your will be done. This was not the active will of God that, that God said, okay, to be obedient, die on the cross. There was nothing in the law of God that said, go and die on the cross. It was his passive will. It was Jesus saying, 
I don't want to go through with this. There's horror. There's fear. There's, there's trembling in my heart. But there's something that I'm obedient to even greater than submitting to my fear, and that is to your will. And so what do you want for me? What do you want me to do? Because that's what I want to honor you in all that I do. And it led him to the cross. If it's your will, then spare me from this. But if it's not, then I'll do it, and I'll do it with joy, and I'll do it with honor. There was an element of passive will that even Jesus had to submit to. And there's an element of his relationship to the Father that was one of submission and obedience. And it needs to be for us as well. What does this look like for you and for me to, to, to submit to the passive will of God? It requires a lot of patience, doesn't it? it? requires a lot of time and looking into our heart and trying to discern sin in our heart, discern motives in our heart. It takes time to actually stop, think, pray, listen to what God has to say. It takes time. We can't rush through life and just expect that we're going to honor God, that it's just going to come naturally. We can't expect that, okay, as long as I follow these Ten Commandments, then I'm going to honor God with my life. Because there's going to come a time where a conflict's going to come up in your life and it doesn't fit in perfectly into one of those Ten Commandments. And we can't rush it. We can't act impulsively. We have to stop. We have to think. We have to ask. We have to pray. We have to discern, God, what does it mean for me to submit to your will? in this scenario? What does it mean to honor you? This is where you and I will spend the most time wrestling in our faith, in that passive will, submitting to his will, when he hasn't told us what we need to do. Maybe you've been in this similar situation as me, where before, I I wasn't a Christian my whole life. Um, It took me a long time through adolescence and even high school, and I didn't, didn't become a Christian until I was in college at the U of A. And before that, there were certain things that I participated in that I knew were against God's will, his explicit will, his active will, his passive will. I felt that God had an understanding about my life. I I always thought, God, I know I'm doing things that are not honoring to you, but you understand how hard this is for me. Surely you will cut me some slack, right? Have you ever felt that? God, I'm, I'm trying the best that I can. You know things are hard. I mean, you're God. You know everything. And you know I want to do this, and you know it's hard for me not to do this. And, and maybe you can just understand that. And that was my mentality for most of, of my life. And then after, there was something that happened. There was a different change in, in what I understood to be obedience and submitting to God's obedience. People would come, I would stop participating in certain things that I knew were sinful and, and, and not honoring to God, and people would be confused by it. They weren't black and white things, but they were more things of the conscience. And they'd say, why are, you, why are you not doing this with us? Why are you not participating in this? And I never had a really great answer. I always thought I, I wanted to have one. I always wanted to have like this really profound answer. And I never came up with anything more profound than because I love God, and so that's why I don't do this. And it was always a confusing answer. And even saying that out loud right now just seems like, well, that's not adequate. I, I, need, a, I need more evidence than that. There's something in my heart that made me feel like, well, because I love God and I love him and I want to honor him in my life and therefore I make, I make different decisions. And I don't know if it, it's not black and white. My decision isn't cut and dry and I can't point to the Bible explicitly and tell you why I'm doing that. But there's something in my conscience that is, has submitted to, to Christ, to honor him, to bless him, to praise him in my life. 
And therefore, the way that I spend money, the way that I talk, the way that I engage with others in relationships, the way that I want people to see me, everything. Everything is different, and I I look at everything different. Submitting to God's passive will, that's what that looks like. To hold supreme the honor of Christ and doing everything in order to magnify that honor. Even when sometimes you don't even know the exact reason why you're doing one thing or another except to honor God. What it means when I say that is that I'm in a place with God where I don't want to do anything that would dishonor Him. So my decisions, my ambitions, my passions, everything is shaped by my submission to His passive will, my submission to Him leading my life, leading my conscience, leading my emotions. And this is when we know that we love God, that we obey His commands, and his commands are not a burden to us. Well, that's just bizarre, isn't it? I, I've wrestled with that passage for a long time. How does it, what does that look like to obey God's commands and the, the commands are not a burden? They're, they're easy for us. It's because we do it out of joy in honoring God that they are not a burden to us. We don't do it, you know, if you have children and, and they are obedient to you, but you can tell it's a burden they are not submitting to you. They're just doing it because they are fearful of punishment. Fine, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's not being obedient out of joy. It's great. You're grateful that they're actually following what you say. But there's a difference. God does not want us to just follow the rules. He wants us to be in a relationship of honor with him. And that's when we know when we truly love him is when we do it out of joy. What do we need to do? I want to give you just three things as a point of conclusion, as a point of application, as we look at this passage and submitting to the active will of God and the passive will of God. What does this look like for me and you? The first thing is to wrestle with what it means to honor Christ, to wrestle with it, to lay down your life so that you might gain it, to give up, to give up your life and ruling your own life so that you might gain it in Christ. And that's what he promises to us. Jesus teaches us by example that if we desire to become great, if we desire to to, um, be honored, we must first be humbled. We must be a servant. We must become low. And so I encourage you to wrestle with that, to struggle between living for your own honor or for the honor of Christ. Is there anything in your life that you are doing right now that is dishonoring God? And you probably know. If you even just take a moment and search your heart there will be things that, that come up. You'll think of them. Is there anything that is dishonoring, that is not an honor to Christ? Is there anything that you're not submitting, you're willfully submitting to, to obedience to Christ? Wrestle with those things. Recognize what you don't want to give up in order to honor Christ and recognize what Christ is asking you to give up to honor Him. The second thing is to will to do his will. This is important because I want to say that Christ made a decision, a will. He willed to do the will of God. He made a decision to be obedient to the will of God. And this is what he calls us to as well. Jesus says, not one takes my life from me. No one takes my life, but I give it up on my own accord. I decide to give my life. No one takes it, I give it. And Christ is asking us to do the same thing, to give it up willfully, to submit to his leadership, his honor willfully. There may not be that perfect 
feeling in place when you have to give up something. Like, well, I know I have to give this up, but it doesn't, I'm still not excited about it. But there's still, we still have to come to a point where we are making decisions based on the honor of Christ and not on our, our honor. And the third is to have joy. Christ laid down his life to see it raised up again. He didn't give it up for the sake of, he did not give up his life for the sake of giving up his life alone, but he gave it up in order to be raised in honor. And so that is the same end for you and I. We don't just give up. We're not obedient just for obedience' sake. We don't just give up our life for just because that's the right thing to do. We do it because we trust in the promise and the faithfulness of God that He will raise it up again. And there's joy that comes in that. In verse 24, as we read, it says, Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. By faith in Christ, we are not condemned. By faith in Christ, we do not find ourselves in judgment before the judge having to unwrap this bag of good things that we've done. By faith in Christ, we don't find ourselves having to convince God that we're good enough for him to love us because we will always fall short of that. We will always find something that is not good enough. But by faith, we receive the honor that Christ received because of his righteousness. And so we continue each day joyfully, knowing that by faith in Christ and honoring him and submitting to his will, his active will, his passive will for us, we've passed from judgment to life because of what Jesus did on the cross. Every time you see a cross, it is right for you to think you deserve to be up there. But because of faith in what Christ has done, he took it instead of us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have been obedient. Not only to give us an example of obedience, but to, to, to save us from a curse of sin. To cover over all of our sins, past, present, and future. And to give us your righteousness so that we can enjoy you. So that we can find comfort in you. So that we can be united with you in friendship and community and communion. What does it mean to honor you? I pray that you would teach us that every day, for everyone in this room, and myself included, that you would continue to teach us what does it mean to honor you in our life. People we talk to, with people in our family, with our neighbors, with our co-workers, with boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it may be. Would you encourage us, give us the strength to honor you? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.